Well, this is National Back to Church Sunday. We have been talking about that and showing you some funny videos leading up to it, and we've encouraged a lot of folks to invite people. And obviously, I've told folks, I said, you know, when you have something immediately fall in second service, usually we're a little thinner in the first service and packed in the second. Um, but I'm anticipating that there are, there are folks that have been invited by, by our folks. And um, it's just an awesome time to, to have uh, us together and for uh, those who have maybe not been here before. And I mentioned last night as I was scheduling, uh, yesterday I was scheduling some posts to hit our church Facebook page. And uh, gave, uh, there was one that gave statistics about uh, 82% of people who don't go to church are likely to go if they were invited by a friend or a relative. And my, my comment on there was, we will be your friend. And if you make Jesus your everything, that makes us family. And this becomes our family reunion every Sunday, weekly. Amen? Well, this morning I want to give you five reasons why the church exists and why, we should be, uh, why you should be a part of it. Five reasons the church exists and why you should be a part of it. It's so easy to hit the snooze button on a Sunday morning when the alarm sounds and roll over and go back to sleep. I don't know what that's like anymore, but at one point, I remember even Jennifer and I, we struggled, you know, even when we were heavily involved here at Newsom before we were pastors. Um, you know, if there's some kind of fun thing going on Saturday evening, uh, when we would let ourselves stay out late on Saturday evening, we'd find ourselves groggy in the morning like, oh, can we, just, can we just hear a message from uh, Pastor Pillow and a song from Sister Sheets this morning? Um, we're, just, we're just so tired. But maybe you had every intention of going to church at times, or maybe even get there early uh, for fellowship before the service, but uh, even had your clothes laid out, but your sleepy side wins, and you satisfy your conscience with the thought, next Sunday I'll go. Then again, why do we even need church? That's something probably asked uh, more privately than ever before in our world. Why even go? You go to school to get an education so you can make a living, right? You go to work to make money so you can pay the bills. You go to the gym for exercise uh, and better health, at least I do sometimes. Um, you go to the mall to shop for clothes and the grocery store to buy food. I mean, you have a place for everything, right? You go to the lake to fish. Uh, the ball game to cheer, and the golf course for fun. And some of those last ones are actually the reason why people miss church sometimes. The, the lake seems uh, much nicer and calmer on Sundays, doesn't it? You know, I remember when I used to go to the lake, um, there's a couple times I've, I've skipped church and gone to the lake, and the water just seems to always be like glass on Sunday. You know? It just it, it seems to always be more tempting. But, but church, why go there? Why get up early on one of your few days off? Why go through the hassle of dressing up and getting the kids ready? At least at New Song, you don't have the pressure to dress up, so you, you've got that out of the way. But why do you go to the trouble of finding a parking space near the, the, the front and a uh, uh, space in the pew near the back or the seats? Why go to the trouble of finding, um, you know, finding your place and, and doing all that? Well, if you've ever found yourself wondering about that little question, you're not alone. Surveys tell us as far back as even 2010, and they've increasingly gotten worse since then, but even back as far as 2010, 79% of Americans identify themselves as Christians, yet only 20% of Americans attend church regularly. 
I guess some people look at going to church as a bother or an unnecessary burden to be avoided whenever possible. A perfectly good hour wasted in order to keep a, a wife or a preacher or a parent off their backs. And others see it as uh, of like a, punch, uh, uh, a punishment or a, um, something that you're forced to do. Or, or maybe it's earning brownie points with their maker. But someone who understands church and what it's really about Going to church can be most, the most spiritually fulfilling, inspiring thing you do all week. Now, I want to jump over a little bit because in realization, someone might have made their way to church and hadn't been in church for a while or maybe recently got back in church and you're like, man, is he going to hammer me? No. I want you to, this is going to uh, seem like we're going off on, the, on a side note here, but how many of you like tropical places? Anybody? Okay, some of you, if you're given the choice of Alaskan cruise or a tropical cruise, who would take the Alaskan? Okay, so, you know, everybody's got a difference of, of what they like, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to have you just close your eyes for a minute. I want you to imagine with me, if you came into New Song today, not realizing it, but I had bought us tickets, all of us, to go and just think of that destination in your mind. And think about the, the fact that we'd all get there and you, had, you, you didn't realize this was coming then, you didn't know it, but all of a sudden you're in one, your favorite place in the whole world. The responsibilities you had that were, were troublesome, were trying, all the, the struggles and everything, uh, everything's being taken care of for you back home. You're, you're there to just enjoy yourself. And as we give each other hugs and excited that we've made it and, and that we're going to get to, to spend some time together, you wish that that could go on forever. You can open your eyes now. You see, the reason that we're talking about this is that church doesn't get you to heaven. And church does not make a, your relationship with God. It doesn't make a relationship for you with God. But church is vital for the journey of us reaching that destination of heaven that is a place where we'll be able to celebrate and, and joyfully leave behind all the troubles and the cares. As the Bible says, no more tears, no more sorrows. You understand the drive of the church, the drive of your, this pastor this morning is that all of us go together to a, to a place that not, not one of us have to, has to be missing. And so when we talk about this, while church doesn't make a relationship with God, it, it's not that that is what makes you a Christian. At the same time, to be a Christian in this day and time, every year it gets harder and harder. But to try to do it alone, to try to have a, a life that is pleasing to God, that is that is in line with his word, that is following Christ and being Christ-like, is exponentially harder. If not, I'd like to almost propose almost impossible to do outside of the church family because it's exactly the way the Lord designed it to be. It's like trying to take a, uh, a, a Lego set where the Lego set is designed for you to make the Millennial Falcon. And you decide you're going to take that Lego set and you're going to make, you're going to make um, the Eiffel Tower. It wasn't designed for that. You're going to be fumbling through that. You're going to be trying your hardest and trying to make pieces fit. And you're, going to, you're going to continue to try and try and get frustrated when all along that erector, it was supposed to be the Millennial Falcon. Some of the young kids are like, what's a Millennial Falcon? Um, but someone who understands church and and what's really about going to church can be the most spiritually fulfilling, inspiring thing you'll do all week. The book of Acts tells the story of how the church got started. Um, 
50 days after Jesus rose from the dead is when it got started. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower his disciples and they went out and began preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and the good news. It was the institution. It was the organization. And I'm not talking about a building or, or having a structure of uh, the leadership and all that. that. Yes, that came and was important and the different offices that were held in the church for ministry. But the importance was that they needed a strengthening mechanism. They needed a strengthening organism to strengthen their walk with the Lord because they were facing persecution and they were facing difficulties and just falling into to the mundane lifestyle sometimes. Some of those that didn't face persecution immediately. Maybe it was just to keep the fire burning in their heart, but they needed the church. Millions of people listened and thousands believed in that time and became part of the church often. Then at the end of Acts 2, we find this short snapshot of what life was like in the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47, and I'm reading this morning, usually from the ESV, but today the New Living, uh, New Living Translation. In the end of Acts chapter 2, 41 through 47, it says, Those who believe that what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. Well, there's some church pastors that, you know, that you can say all day long, it's not about numbers, but the Bible's telling you here it is about adding to the numbers. And it's not just for numbers' sake or warm bodies, it's because that represents people who have an opportunity now to be in heaven with you. So, so 3,000 were added. Now, any pastor that would see 3,000 people in one shot come into the church uh, would be dancing up and down. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of the, all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It wasn't just people coming for the meal. And that's okay. You know how many times we do things knowing that some people are coming because we got free food. And that's okay. I've told somebody before, as I've been going to the jail so much, and, and, and Mickey, when he was still up in county before he got transferred recently, He'd tell me, he said, now, Pastor CJ, these, some of these guys, uh, you know, I'm sending you names. I'm not sure all of them are, are really uh, doing this for the right reasons. They may think you're going to help them financially. You're going to do this or whatever. I said, Mickey, it's okay. I said, I can handle all that. I said, the fact that now they have opened the door, that someone who is wanting to listen to the Holy Spirit and speak God's words of life into their life, that they're allowing that to happen, even if they have the wrong motives, the Holy Spirit has a better chance of, of they have a better chance of hearing the Holy Spirit and yielding. So I'm not worried about that. I'll keep coming. I'll keep going. Even I never look at it as a waste of time. If we could pause and look intently into this paragraph I just read from the scripture, I think we'd finally begin to realize the real purpose of the church and why we meet together each week. And you know what? There's one thing I know about Leadership 101 from my time at Walmart corporate office is, is if the people who are following you don't understand the sense of purpose of why you're meeting it will dissolve even the greatest organization. Scripture says without vision, the people per perish. And vision is, is not synonymous, but, but very closely related to purpose. The vision is the particular way 
that when you've been given a mission, it's a particular way that you've been given to carry out that mission. There's biker churches, there's cowboy churches, there's this kind of church and that kind of church, and those are all different visions to reach certain people groups. There's missionaries in different countries that approach ministry in some ways that we may not even think we'd approve of. I know that in Patty Thailand that they've had churches that will go and meet, they've been given a room in the side of a brothel just so they can give the message to those ladies there and hope that God will change their life. And some of us are like, I can't believe they didn't go near that place. Filthy place. Let's looking, at, looking at the examples of this uh, very first group of Christians reveals five reasons why the church exists and why you should be a part of it. And the first one, the first thing that the church brings into our lives is membership. Now, again, some of you know, we call our membership partnership. And this isn't particularly talking about you know, card-carrying church goer. You know, this isn't that, oh, the Bible does talk about you getting a little laminated card that has your name and that you belong to that church. No, we're talking about the membership as those who are engaged, fully engaged in the ministry that we call partners. In other words, the church gives us a place to belong. Uh, the passage we read in Acts is absolutely flooded with fellowship. This church heavily focuses on fellowship. I do believe that we need to be very careful that all of our things that we do and we put resources to doesn't involve just the membership. There should be more outreach than just for us, otherwise become a club. And remember what Brother Cartwright that came from Rural Compassion, remember what he said? He compared Christians to, to uh, cow pies. He said cow pies, he said if you pile them up and leave them together, they begin to stink. But if you split them all up and move them out and spread them all out, they begin to make things grow, right? They become fertilizer. And he compared the church that way, that sometimes we pile all up together and we stay together and we, we stick together and we begin to stink. And, you know, we don't even realize it's happening. Your best, you know, I remember when I was at Walmart, and listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to be Walmartian today because some of you are like, I need a break from Walmart. Quit talking about it. But, but Sam Walton, one of the things he taught in the very beginning was about listening to the people. He'd fly to the stores, he'd go, he'd surprise them, he'd come in and talk to the checkers. Sometimes they wouldn't even know who their, their founder was who their CEO was, but they'd, he'd talk to them and ask them their thoughts on their job. He'd ask customers. And you know what, church folks, one of the, most, the best things you can do, and we've been doing lately, has been very, very effective for us in, in understanding what's going on, is to quickly begin to talk to those who are coming in new into the, the body and find out what they think. I open the door, I say, it's okay, I got thick skin, tell me, tell me what you see, tell me what you think. Not because I'm trying to be crafty and treat this like a corporation or anything, but Jesus did the same thing. He spent time with even the unbelievers to understand what their heart was before he started trying to uh, make an impact on them. You see, sometimes we try to act like doctors fixing people, but we don't want to worry about hearing what the problem is. We want to make up a diagnosis and then try to deliver the treatment. The Bible says all the believers devoted themselves to the fellowship and the sharing of meals and all the believers met together, met together in one place and shared everything they had. But this was always to prepare for sending out. This was so that they could be discipled and grow and be sent out. Jesus gave these new believers a sense of community, belonging, and togetherness. And they, he did so at a level that you cannot find anywhere else in the world. About 11 years ago, um, Saddleback Church... Uh, um, Rick Warren did a big focus and a big campaign around community and that his church would be focused on building a community of believers. And the ramification of that is still impacting that church today. It was, it was one of the most 
incredible things he did. Now, whether you like Rick Warren or not, I don't have an opinion there. I'm just saying that, that at least um, he got that right and the, and the Lord used that. So Jesus gave these new believers a sense of community, belonging, togetherness. And he did it at a level he cannot find anywhere else in the world. And all of us need a place to belong. If you tell me right now that you don't feel like you need a place and that you're, you're that, remember when we did the Desperado sermon? And I sang you a little portion of the song. We're not meant to be the Desperado. We're not designed to be that. And, and if you tell yourself that, it's because you're throwing a wall up because you've been hurt before, you've been disappointed, or you've just gotten so cynical you just don't like other human beings, anybody else that breathes the air you breathe. And, and it's not healthy, it's not the way you're designed. And I can tell you that no matter what you try to convince people of, you're miserable. All of us need a place to belong. All of us need a part of something bigger than ourselves. All of us need to experience family and, and fellowship. Vance Packard wrote the book, The Hidden Persuaders, first published in 1957. And Packard explored the use of consumer motivational research. Um, and other psychological techniques, basically the advertisers, how they get in our heads and how they motivate us, move us, and, and get us to make purchases and do all the things we, we do based on, on, how, uh, on how they approach it. And he calls America a nation of strangers. A nation of strangers. Because um, studies show that four out of ten people experience feeling of intense loneliness. Four out of ten people experience feelings of intense loneliness. I've had that several times in my life when Jennifer and I were, uh, were going to uh, a church before this one. Great family of believers there. But I was feeling lonely to find a, a, a guy friend that I could do guy stuff with that just understood the way I was, and I just was feeling lonely in that sense. We had plenty of people who, who were always loving on us and all that, but that's a need I had. I prayed for it, and God sent a couple that we became close friends with the right timing, and, and God fulfilled that need. Our American culture produces people who are more closely uh, identifying themselves with characters on weekly TV series than with their next-door neighbors. You know, used to, there's TV shows like Tim the Tool Man. Remember, he had, he had the relationship with the, with the set of eyes over the fence, his neighbor. We never really got to see what his neighbor looked like. That was part of the show, is always the tease of you know, where, where they're going to show his face. They do very creative things to hide it, but, but that was what his daily interaction was. But now it's the amount of TV and things we sit and watch. You know, they're saying we watch far, more, far much more TV than we spend with our families. And especially if that's the case with our families who are right there in our home, you know that we're not identifying or spending time or getting no neighbors. Everywhere you look, there are signs that people are hungry for fellowship, community, and a sense of family. Beer commercials don't sell beer, they sell fellowship. You know, I, we all see the beer commercials, especially... Um, Super Bowl time, and they're not selling, they're not trying to sell you on the beer. They sell you on the fellowship and integrate the beer into that so that you connect the beer with the fellowship. They're not going to show some guy who's becoming an alcoholic sitting alone in the dark in a house all by himself, all depressed, slugging beers down, are they? That wouldn't sell. Advertisers don't portray someone drinking alone. It's always in the context of enjoying each other's companies. And people long to be connected. There are many analogies for a Christian disconnect, uh, from uh, being disconnected from the Christian body, from a church. Uh, like a football player without a team. is like a church member without the church. A soldier without a platoon. A tuba player without an orchestra. A sheep without a flock. 
But the most understandable and biblical picture is that of a child without a family. Because that's the analogy God uses as God the Father and us being His children. And without Him, we're like a child without a family. That family is a church. God doesn't want His children growing up in isolation from each other. So He created a spiritual family on earth for us, and a Christian without a church is like an orphan. You know, this fall, when you, when you go out, especially I think over here around Lake Centerton, and when we lived in Bella Vista, we saw me more, there'd be geese coming in, and they always fly in the V, right? And you might be interested in knowing that science has discovered about why they fly that way. It's been learned that each bird flaps its wings, and when it does, it creates uplift for the bird immediately falling. So the further back you go, the easier the flight is for the ones following. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds at least 71% greater flying range than if each bird flew on its own. 71% greater flying range. They go further because they stick together. Christians who share a common direction and a sense of community can get where they are going quicker and easier because they are traveling on the thrust of one another. That's why in the Bible it talks about some are a hand, some are a foot, some are, some are this or that, the mouthpiece that speaks, that we all have to function together as one body to be effective. And also when the, a goose gets sick or wounded and falls out of formation, two other geese follow him to help him and protect him. They don't just let him fall out. They send someone to be with him. And they stay with him until he is either able to fly or until he is dead. And they launch out to catch up with their group. Jesus gave us the church so that we could do the same for one another. To support each other and stand by each other when we're down and out. The second thing that the church gives us, an opportunity, it gives us an opportunity to magnify the God who made us. It's magnification. Uh, Pastor Ken, in a moment during worship, he said, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to just magnify the Lord. And you might say, how can you magnify the Lord in 30 seconds? You know what came to my mind is when I was a kid, the first time I looked through a high-powered telescope at the moon, and I remember looking at all the things I couldn't see with, an, with my natural eye, and it took my breath away for a minute. It only took seconds for me to all of a sudden go from feeling like I am the only thing that matters to feeling so insignificant, so small, all my troubles, all my concerns, everything around me faded in those seconds because of seeing the greatness and that magnification of the moon. And there's something, there's some expanse that had not been explored. There's something that I still had lots to learn about. And while I thought I knew everything, it proved to me there's so much more that I don't understand. See, going back to Acts 2, the Bible says, they worshiped together at the temple each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared meals with great joy and generosity all the while praising God. And in case no one has ever told you this, it's not all about you. It's not all about me. While we are Christians, we love each other, we want to welcome you into this body and this family. As you mature as a believer, it's always less and less about you. It's like when, when the um, disciples, when there's an argument about who's going to be the greatest, Jesus, he says, whoever's the least is the greatest. In other words, the more you put someone else before you, uh, the, the greater you become. That's why right now our world is so broken. Government, everything we're seeing, it's all about pride and you and about you and your feelings and that's what matters. And it's not about the greater good of everybody. It's about the individual and even in government. And, and the thing is, is people keep thinking if we can rise this person up to power because they're a better person, then they'll fix everything. 
Or, or if I can just prove to everybody I'm right and get everybody to think like me, it'll fix everything. But the way the gospel works, what, what being a, a Christ-like is, is about being less and less so that God can increase. And He takes care of the things that trouble us. We're never going to fix anything in this government, in this world, or anything by trying to make us bigger or make us be, be heard. It's the gospel. I, I formatted something the, the other day because I don't usually respond to some of these things on social media that are, are the real hot topics because you're just going to get, it's just going to keep going. You know, on some of the topics you see it, you know, and there's like, you know, a thousand responses already. And I started thinking, the Lord started impressing upon me, all you need is my word. All you need is my word. They don't need your opinion, they need my word. And I won't give you the scriptures right now because that'll play into another sermon here soon, but, but I'll tell you that the interesting thing is, is some of those I started post. Nobody ever commented on my comments. When I gave my opinion, I'd just get into this mess and be like, I'll forget it and delete my stuff so I didn't have to look at it anymore or, or get responses. But, but the word is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. It talks about that it's like better than what a surgeon can do. It can separate bone and marrow. and ten, it, can, it can get into the very heart of a matter. And it will expose what the true issue is. And you know what's interesting about on those things where I, I put that scripture? is it silenced a lot of the Christians as well as the unbelievers. All of a sudden, the Christians didn't have so much to say anymore because God's word was that mirror reflecting back, say, hey, we're all behaving badly here. We're, none of us are acting Christ-like right now, so I can't really, I don't have anything I can really shout out at these folks because I'm trying to tell them the reason I say this is because I'm following Christ, and now I've been examined by the word of God, and, and I'm not setting that example. Church gives us an opportunity to worship God, the Father, and His Son, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, one of the scriptures I shared, is how the unbeliever thinks everything to do with God is foolishness because it takes the Holy Spirit at work in your life to understand the Word of God. Do you wonder why you can't argue an atheist into the kingdom of God? Is because they have to be willing to experience God. Not head knowledge, they have to experience Him. And until they let the Holy Spirit soften the heart, until they allow an experience to happen, you're not going to debate them into the kingdom of God because the scripture even says it's going to seem foolishness to them until they actually let the Spirit work in their heart. See, the sad truth is worship should be a way of life, but the truth is that most of the church today doesn't worship God on their own. It's only during the worship service. Life is busy and hectic and we're all so easily distracted and all of life should be worship, but it's usually it's not. Church gives us 75 minutes a week, 75 minutes a week focused on worship and attention on Jesus unless you come on Wednesday nights and then you've doubled your time. But it's still less than two and a half hours. I always like how David described worship. He said, Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. It wasn't about him doing it on his own. It was always bringing others with him. Do you know what it means to magnify something? Again, it's like that moon that you just see for the first time. And, and, it, and it just takes a minute or a second for you to realize all your worries, all your concerns are so insignificant. And the same thing happens when we magnify or worship God. He becomes bigger in our hearts and lives, and we stand in awe of his, his incredible beauty, his incredible splendor, and his wonder. We sing another song, God of Wonders. He's a God of Wonders. The third thing church helps lead us to is spiritual maturity. And this is something desperately needed in the church today. 
if we don't start producing mature Christians, mature Christian believers, then we're going to end up in the same mess we are here, only worse, because we got to this point where the church has, has an onslaught coming against them because in the past we have not built mature Christians who could speak the word with, with the knowledge and the depth that they need to. You know, I talked about you can't even understand the word without the work of the Holy Spirit. Well, well when you have a bunch of Christians misstating, uh, taking things out of context, using them to their advantage to fit where they want, and the world sees that and sees the hypocrisy, they don't even, they don't even get to the point of wanting to have an experience. They want you to shut up. Jumping back to Acts 2 again, the Bible says, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer. Verse 42. You know, I, I will just, I don't want to step on toes, but I'll just tell you a very short time of pastoring, only three and a half years, very quickly found that most of the issues that happen in church, most, I'm not saying all, most of the issues that happen in church are usually with folks who have been gone enough that they've not been on the same trip that we're all taking. They don't know all the information that's been given from God's word. They haven't been in the process of the maturing and they're gone enough. They come back in, they see one thing that upsets them and they don't realize that that's been addressed or that's been, we've been tackling that or we've been working on that. Again, it, it comes down to just me, myself, and I. I see a problem. I'm upset. I don't stop to think that everybody else in the church has problems too, and, uh, just like you do, and we're all working on it together. And sometimes it's a process. I'm mentoring a guy right now working on his uh, credentials as a minister, and he is a new believer, and he is on fire. But his frustration is he goes to a, a church that's m more older, established church, been there a long time, kind of got set in their ways, and he's coming in there saying, our church isn't doing this, our church isn't doing that. And I, I'm like, I love this brother. He's got a good heart. It's just, I tell him, I said, listen, it's so interesting hearing you talk, being a pastor now, because I've been there, you know, I understand that, but, but I said, you got to understand is like you can't assume that everyone is just not doing what they're supposed to be doing. I said, we're all in a process. If you get your way and turn everybody loose like you are right now, you're going to have a mess. Some of them need a little more development. Some of them need, some before they just get, try to get excited and go out there, they need to work on some things they've got going on and get rid of that. So in other words, they were committed at this time in, in, in the New Testament church, committed to learning more about Jesus. Who was the focus for the apostles' teaching and growing uh, to be more like it was about Jesus, to be more like Jesus. Let me explain something that I don't think a lot of preachers say. We don't study the Bible so that we can sound smart around other Christian friends or to just grow our knowledge for our own sake or for our own pride. We study the Bible so that through it, the Holy Spirit can change us and make us more like Christ. And the Bible says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. In 1 Corinthians 8.1, God wants to develop in us the kind of character described in the Beatitudes of Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount. If you'll come, men, to men's Bible study this next Saturday, that's the series we're, we're going through. And again, I've mentioned this over and over, uh, Doc Blankenship, uh, Brother Blankenship, is going through that, that Jesus, you know, all these, these religious folks were saying, well, I obey the law, I'm doing this. And he says, yeah, you know, the law says don't murder. I'm telling you, don't even become, don't even be the kind of person that gets angry. He's taking a step further, saying you should be in a process of changing, be more like me, and then you don't even have to worry about whether you're obeying the rules or not. You're becoming the kind of person who wouldn't even get there or get close to it. I am, I am evident, and we talk about this a lot, I, it's evident to me that I'm still in process every time I get into bad traffic. 
And I think about this now that Doc's been doing this series, like, don't be the kind of person that gets angry. Don't be the kind of person. Get out of my way. You know what I mean? You, you know, we're all in process, even your pastor. But um, he wants us to be that kind of person, that the fruit of the Spirit that's talked about in, and what Paul's talking about in the great love chapter, that that becomes, that becomes evident and prevalent and the foremost in our lives. The Holy Spirit uses a variety of methods to lead us to Christ's likeness. He often uses the circumstances of life, the trials and tragedies, to shape our character. How many of you have a past you're not so proud of, but now that Christ is in your life, it's not that he willed it, he didn't want that for you. He all the time, the Holy Spirit was trying to get you away from it. You probably don't know how much he was doing, but now that it's happened, now it's over with, and you're redeemed and you've given a heart back to God, what kind of tool is he using? How, how can he use that for his kingdom's sake? For some, that's, that's some of the guys who are doing street witnessing out to the, uh, the gangs or drug acts or those. It's because that's what they went through. And God is using that for his glory. He uses worship. As Emerson, an American essayist, a lecturer and poet of the mid-19th century, once noted, he said, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we worship we are becoming. And you know, I, I'm going to step on my own toes here for a minute because where I have failed leading up to before I became pastor here and even after is I always thought that I, I could, you know, if there was something on TV or movie, a little bit of curse words here, a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, hey, that's all right, I'm strong enough, I can, I can shut that out. Let me tell you, that's foolishness. Because those things impact you. You say, well, I wasn't worshiping it. I can tell you this, if you have a check in your spirit about the first time and then you ignore it and watch it again, then you are beginning to worship it. Because if the Holy Spirit's trying to prompt you not to do it and you keep putting it first and you're putting it before God and it has become what you worship. And while I grew up at church where, again, I told you back before my time when it was about the, you had the rabbit ear antennas, you know, and they, back in the early days of TV, they put them on the roof, you know, preachers would preach on that and the TVs would go out in the yard and after the sermon kind of faded a little bit, they came back in. Or, or if they had the rabbit ears on there, they're afraid the preacher might see it and they put them in the attic where they still get reception but they couldn't be seen. You know, we're not talking about that because it has no spiritual benefit for you to hide it. You're not, you're not, you're not trying to make it to heaven by impressing your pastor or the church. And it's not just about making it to heaven. God is trying to rescue you from things that will entrap you and bring division in your family and break your family apart and eventually, little piece by piece, tear apart the moral fiber of your home until all kinds of problems are unleashed. And you'll never be able to trace them back to this, that one show. You'd never be able to. Because it's not all that one show. It was the decision you made there and the decision the next, and they become bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like when we tell our kids, if you steal one thing, it gets easier next time and bigger and bigger things next time. Dad, and dad's visiting you in the penitentiary because you stole a bunch of cars. You know, It's those kind of lessons. It's true. We may teach our kids that, but do we live everything in our Christian walk with the same concept? I bl still believe... The tool he uses more than any other is God's word, though. In fact, the Bible calls the word of God the sword of the spirit. As Rick Warren puts it, the spirit of God uses the word of God to make you more like the son of God. And When you come to church into the fellowship of other spiritual growing people and hear the word of God being preached, it teaches you what it really means to be like Jesus. It challenges you to follow in his steps. And hopefully it inspires you and equips you to be able to do it. Part of my growth is I'm realizing that back when I first started, I wanted to try to do everything because I, I just saw all the stuff that I wanted to see happen. 
And I started realizing some things I have to wait until God sends people who, who eventually get willing to serve. And then my job is to help them discover their talents and everything and equip them. You know, we have to be good with the finance church. Somebody comes and wants to do ministry. We have to decide, okay, we're going to release some funds here. We're going we're to put people together with you. We're going to, like rule compassion, we're going to come together, build a team. We're going to mobilize because it's not meant to be one person. It's not meant to be a one-man show. That the church is a body of believers who come together powerfully like those geese and who by the time we begin to build momentum, the people falling behind us, they're just floating on the momentum of the ones going before them. There's two pastors before me in this church. I walked in with a gift wrapped up. This church was ready to go. Was it perfect? Was there any issues? Yes, but, but I didn't have to plant the church. I didn't have to go find a school to rent and, and a trailer to be able to load all the equipment every weekend and, and mobilize and motivate people to uh, put stuff in every week and take it out for three years. I didn't have to go through um, finding another place and make a decision to spend all the money and, and the resource it took to make, get this building ready for us. It was wrapped up. So the wings flapping before us, give us the, it gives us uh, the power and it gives us the momentum to carry on. And the fourth thing about going to church, it prepares you for ministry. Look at what else the church was doing in Acts 2. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. While the apostles were out healing the sick, blind, and crippled, other Christians were helping the poor and looking out for one another. And this points us to another great reason the church exists, and you should be a part of it because of ministry. You're meant to eventually minister. Maybe not full-time ministry, maybe as a lay person in the church, but God has already given you a gifting, a talent that's to be used in this church. I'm a firm believer that everything we need in New Song for right now already sits in these chairs. Every talent, every ability, it's whether you will be willing it's whether you will let us help you to discover that. It's whether you will say, I am willing to give up my time. You know what? It's not so important what's going on Saturday night anymore because I might miss the game plan. It's like the, the football player who misses a huddle and he goes out there and tries to run the plays with the rest of them. And I'm not trying to be mean, but you ever, if you've seen somebody that didn't pay attention to the huddle and they're doing the goofs out there and then the announcer's like, somebody apparently wasn't listening to the play. He's doing his own thing. And that's what happens to church many times. We end up doing our own thing because it's not, we haven't made it our number one. We're like, oh, Jesus is my number one, so if I'm not at church, that's okay. No, Jesus intended for you to be here to get the game plan. It needs to be our number one. We're not going to all of a sudden arrive in heaven one day, excited all that, and think, man, it was so great all those Sundays that I wasn't there because I had other things going on. We're going to be like, now I finally see. My life wasn't work. My life wasn't this. My life was a kingdom. And while my pastor may not have been the best one ever and not so polished and, and not the best speaker and all that and all those things, and there's churches everywhere, I realized that, that one thing I missed is I should have given my all into building the kingdom through wherever God placed me. It's ministry. Every person, not just your pastor, not just the worship leader, everyone. You weren't created just to consume resources, to eat, drink, and take up space. God designed you to make a difference with your life. And while many best-selling books offer advice on how to get the most out of life, that's not what God made you. You were created to add to life on earth. God wants you to give something back. You guys know I'm about to do something I normally don't do. Please forgive me if this upsets you. But there, I, I will still not mention the name, but there is a, a huge, humongous mega church and a pastor on TV who is already being pointed out as someone who's more about self-help 
and, and doesn't, is a wishy-washy when he's pinned down on the, uh, on, the, on the gospel and the major topics. I'm telling you that if you focus and listen to who some, what these preachers are saying, some of them, it's all about you becoming better. You. It's not about the church becoming stronger. The church becoming... They would say, oh, well, if we're building an individual, the church gets stronger. You know what, though? You've got this mentality of, you know, I'm supposed to be wealthier, better job, and everything God wants that for me, and it's all about me. It's, it's the exact opposite of what the gospel is teaching us. For us to become less, for the body to become stronger, for Christ is the body, the church, and it's, it's meant to be stronger, but not because we individually get greater. God designed you to make a difference with your life. The Bible says God has made us what we are in Christ Jesus. God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to live our lives doing, Ephesians 2.10. These good works are your ministry. God has ministry for you, and the best place to discover and start fulfilling your ministry is in the church. We had a good time Friday night. I got to be blessed because I got to ride around limo too. It was a lot of work and planning. We had been for weeks and weeks planning that and, and keeping it a secret. But, but, you know, and we were, Jen and I were exhausted. Got home about midnight Friday night. And I just said, like, this was incredible, though. You see, it's so fulfilling. You know, we were able to bless those girls' lives. And if, if you know the stories and the backgrounds, sometimes it, you understand the significance of what we're doing. We're pouring into lives, sometimes just a few lives, but you never know what that person's going to do for God and what your investment may, may do later. Some, we can't all go around the world as missionary. I get that. I would love for us to have regularly people called up into full-time missions. It's my heart's desire to see that. But we, can't, we won't all do that. We won't all have the resources to sell some property and give to the poor, but we all have special gifts, abilities, experiences, and interests that God has given us for ministry. If you love to cook, you can make meals for shut-ins. If, if you have a cart for kids, you are probably made for children's ministry, and I can tell you that me and my wife will, will uh, probably be singing your praises if you say, I feel like I'm supposed to be helping with kids' church right now or whatever, because we on Wednesday nights, if you come Wednesday nights, about half the congregation is kids, and we're cramming about almost 30 sometimes, 25, 25 or more in that back room. Until we can get a building project going, until we can get that going, you know, we're over our own kids, and we've got a few people being faithful to helping with that, but, but these kids are important. They are the next church. They are the church now. Jesus put incredible significance on the kids. Um, who better to help a recovering alcoholic than someone who fought that demon and found freedom? If you've uh, gone through a tragedy uh, like divorce or other things like that, you can uh, use your, your um, experience to comfort others who are experiencing that same heartache. The possibilities are limitless. Unfortunately, so are the excuses. We can make them a lot quicker than we can make the plan to go into action. We can come up with an excuse on the drop of the hat. We get good at it because we do it at work, we do it with kids, we do it with everything. We've got an excuse ready in case we're put in a position where we're not comfortable. If you've been saved and you're not involved in any service or ministry, what excuses are you using? I mean, Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Not my opinion. Gideon was poor. <laughs> Sorry, the political correct stuff comes out sometimes in the pulpit and it shouldn't. But um, uh, David had an affair and was all kinds of, of, of family trouble. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Naomi was a widow. And the Samaritan woman had five failed marriages. Thomas had doubts, and Timothy was timid. Yet God used each one of them in his service. He'll use you, too, if you let him. 
One of the big disconnects from the gospel and the Bible is when we look at it as fairy tales or stories from long ago and don't realize they were living, breathing human beings with feelings and emotions just like you who thought they weren't worthy or many times thought they were worthless, who had all kinds of problems like you do, but they made themselves available and God used them powerfully as the Spirit of God would work through them. The fifth and final as we close, a mission. Returning to Acts 2, one last time, the Bible says, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved in Acts 2.47. And the church's mission is the same as Christ's mission, to seek and save the lost. The DNA of this church, while we want to, uh, to minister to anyone who has never heard the gospel, the specific main focus of this church is those who once had a relationship with Christ and have disconnected from the body. That's what this, Pastor Jim, when he started this church, that was the vision, the mission statement, that was what we we're about. That's why the casual atmosphere, that's why the jeans t-shirt. There's some people that grew up in church where it was too much about what you wore or it's too much about um, how you looked or your job or your money or whatever it was or your social status. And that was the purpose of doing this. Not to try to be cool or trendy, but to reach those who had let stuff like that come between the relationship with God. Other Christians who, who had it wrong and, and pushed that and, and they thought that's really what the church was about. In the church, we all have the same mission, to share the good news of Jesus Christ and his saving grace with a bent and broken world. You might fulfill your mission by sharing your testimony, the story of how you came to Jesus. You might carry out your mission by telling people the good news. Or maybe you'll accomplish your mission by simply inviting people to church and letting them hear the good news. The church in Jerusalem grew from 120 to 3,000 in just one day. And by Acts 4, that number had risen to 5,000. And by Acts 6, there were too many to count. The poor ushers, who had to probably start over six and seven times, finally said, all right, apostles, you count. I'm not counting 5,000 people every service or more. All because they knew they had a mission and they set out to get it done. They were available, they were willing, and said, God, I may not think I'm capable or equipped, but I see from... From the examples that have gone before me, just like those geese flying for me, you'll give me the momentum, you'll give me the stuff, I can do it if I'm just faithful. This is, this is the most important thing for the church, is that we get this. And I hope I'm giving you enough reasons to get up and go to church again next Sunday because we're, we're going to further this message and get deeper into why we need each other. We were doing a sermon series, uh, getting ready to, I was doing one on finance, we did it, and, and I had everything ready to go, and uh, by Friday, I started in turmoil again about this message. Uh, today, I was like, back to church Sunday. We're going to talk about finances. And um, that's okay, but, but God said, you know what? I want them to understand. And I want the folks who maybe have not been here before that this can be your family. You may have a great family, blood relatives, but this can be your eternal family. It's all up to you. The truth is, church isn't just something you attend. It's something you are. When you understand what it means to not just go to church, but to be the church, you discover your life's true purpose. You were made to be a member of this family, to magnify his glory, to mature in his image, to, to minister of his mercy and a missionary of his grace. Maybe you've been out of church for a long time. Maybe you've just come back or, or maybe you've uh, not ever actually had a relationship with, with Christ. Like I've never even begun the journey. I'm just here today checking it out, and, and I don't even have a relationship with him. If I could have everyone just bow their heads for a few moments. If you're here this morning and, and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you're, you know, for whatever reason, you, 
you start it out and then and then you you just let it die out. And you want to recommit make recommit to Christ and say, I want to follow you with all my heart. Or you've never made that commitment. If that's you, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand today and say, either get up out of your chair and come down to an altar and you have that conversation with God in a in a step of bravery to step out and say, I'm I'm giving it my all and I will make a physical move forward. Not that Jesus isn't right there next to you and he's only up here at the altars, but he'll honor your decision to step out in faith. Or if you just see me after the service and say, I, I need to understand what my next step is, I want to pray with you. Heavenly Father, we just ask right now, in Jesus' name, that you minister these hearts, God, that if anyone is to come forward today, Lord, that they won't hold back, make the excuse, or, or Lord, that they would uh, cower before what the enemy is trying to, to do, but God, they'll step out in faith believing. Lord, I pray that we all, Lord, all believers here today, God, would recommit to, to being in fully engaged in the body, to be here present, to hear the game plan, to, to move forward, to, to work in unison, to discover our talents, and, and Lord, that we may move towards being used ourselves in ministry. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.